This is the Comp Effect Podcast. When you focus on workers' compensation, you'll have a safer work environment, more productive staff, lower expenses, and you'll crush your competition. We're sharing real-world stories, actionable tips, business-friendly advice, and information to help your business. I'm your host, Todd Tams. Enjoy the show. All righty. Welcome back to this episode of the Comp Effect Podcast. Listeners, I'm super excited to bring a new chapter in and where this podcast is going in terms of direction. I know most recently we focused on talking about what can be done at the time of claim, why businesses should use nurse triage, claim management, and we even talked a little bit about fraud tips. But the great thing that we're going to talk about in this episode is how businesses can actually prevent claims. And today joining us is Gabe Glynn, who is the CEO of Make You Safe, as well as one of the founders. And they are they are preventing claims with InsureTech wearables, and it's really cool. And Gabe, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast, and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, Todd, super excited to, to geek out, nerd out here on work comp and, and data and, and, work, and, and safety, right? It's about, it's about sending people home at the end of the day. So. Sending them home the same way they came to work in, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and sadly, you know, believe it or not, more than 1,000 people on this planet still lose their life every single day. In a workplace accident. So, I mean, since we started the company, that's millions of people that have lost their lives in workplace accidents. And uh, one is too many. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so you're hoping to change that with your company, Make You Safe. And so I did some research here to let our listeners know a little bit about what you do. I don't think I can do justice because when I go out on the internet, uh, you're well-known, you're winning lots of awards. Some of the things that I found here 2014 Iowa Small Business Entrepreneur of the Year, your DMAC Alumni of the Year. I went to DMAC for a few years also. Bears. Yeah. <laughs> uh, currently, you're a finalist for Startup Iowa. You've done podcasting before, hosting the Advanced Manufacturing Podcast. So, I mean, dude, there's a lot of stuff going on. And I know we only probably have an hour today. Can you give us a story about, you know, a little bit about you and how you got here? Yeah, I... Oh, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm an Iowa guy through and through. So I grew up in Eastern Iowa, um, went to uh, UNI, uh, and that's where I met my wife. And then my wife and I, we moved down here about 15 years ago uh, to Des Moines. And we actually live in Ankeny. We've got two boys that are six and nine. And like every other parent out there, we're just trying to survive right now, you know, between trying to to do school at home. Um, some days, <laughs> school in school, other days, trying to keep kids, um, you know, happy and, and, uh, and doing things. And, and my wife also works full time. Um, so, uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, you can tell, but we're actually in my, in my dining room right now. So welcome to my dining room. And I, I have our technology hanging on the wall here behind me. Cause I, I do so much work from my dining room. <laughs> so, you know, most people will put like a, you know, a China closet or a chest or something there. And I see you've got your, you make your make you safe. What is that storage unit? Yeah, that's our uh, base station kiosk. So that's what holds holds devices. So love it. Yeah, and then a picture of my kids in the in the background behind. So, you know, I think everybody's just kind of 
you know, we've, we've figured this out now. I don't know about you, Todd. I know like early on, I was kind of really uptight when I would hop on a, on a call like this and I would want everything to be like perfectly quiet in my house and, you know, good luck keeping, uh, you know, at that time, five and eight year old quiet in the background. So I think we've all just kind of become a little more humanized uh, through this process. Yeah. I certainly think there's less expectation on a zoom call. Uh, you know, I see dogs barking, I see kids running in the background and that's perfectly okay. Cause we're all, we're all working from home. We're trying to do the best that we possibly can right now. And I think, uh, generally if we lower our expectation, it's hard enough right now. There's a certain level of probably anxiety and maybe mental fatigue and dealing with what we've been going through. So I just yeah. roll with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Because I'll just say in advance, there's, there's a good chance we'll have some kids or some cats running through in the background. But uh, yeah. So I'm after moving here, um, I started my first business and over the last um, 12, um, you know, 12 or so years, I've had an opportunity to do a couple of different things in, in small business. And um, in 2015, I, I sold a small software company and we did a lot of work in the manufacturing space Um which has always been a huge passion of mine. People don't realize just how much manufacturing goes on here in Iowa. We always think about agriculture and corn and farming and things like that, which is uh, also a huge part of our economy, obviously. But um, as you know, being in the work comp space, right, there's over 6,000 manufacturing companies here in the state of Iowa. And every small town that you go into, there's a large steel building with a parking lot and that that building is probably making something and inside of there are workers making things. And so that's just always kind of been a, been a passion of mine. That's what led to the podcast you mentioned. I, I got to travel around the country and interview uh, people that, that owned manufacturing companies and many of which were you know, over a hundred years old, right? So they, they obviously weren't making today what they made a hundred years ago, but they were still in business and still relevant. So I found those stories to be, to be very fascinating. Um, and then in, in a kind of a roundabout way, um, through my relationship with my father, he, um, he worked in manufacturing pretty much my entire childhood. And then he got into safety. So he was responsible for more than a thousand people, uh, making it home from work every single day. And so, um, the idea and the genesis for make you safe was really around his experience and us wanting to help guys like my father, get a better understanding of what's going on in the environment, in the workplace with the workers. And he was a small team. It was him and another part-time person. And how do you know where to focus your time and energy from a safety standpoint when you have that many people um, and, and just, you know, limited time to focus on things. So we thought, you know, with, with better data, we could help him focus his time and energy and be a a much more effective um, safety leader. And that was really what, what, spark the idea for make you safe. So I'm trying to think here, the, the, the idea for make you safe, the, the daily things that your, your father probably had to deal with in terms of risk management probably revolve around OSHA required training programs and maybe a few manufacturer, you know, using, uh, you know, making sure the manufacturer's equipment is within safety tolerances and all the safety guards and equipment are on there. Fair checklist, enough. checklist forms. Um, you know, standardized training, you know, Hey, it's March, it's fire safety training month. Everybody get out your binders and let's go through fire safety. Right. And we all know, I mean, those things are important, but they're just not as effective as having real meaningful 
um, conversations with workers around things that are actually impacting them on a day-to-day. 100%. Yeah. I mean, everyone's attended the annual safety training once a year on the same thing that they're not having claims on. You probably have to do it, but it's not meaningful. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, ironically, I'm, I'm joining you here, Todd, on, a, on an insurance podcast. And when we started this thing, we, I knew nothing about it. Like, I have to buy insurance for my car, right? Because it's required by state law. And that was about, you know, the extent of what I understood about insurance. And um, so when we started this thing, we, we weren't really focused on the insurance side um, of, the, of this opportunity. And it wasn't even really for months into this before um, some folks in the insurance industry started hearing about what we're doing. And they reached out to us and said, you know, you guys are going to change insurance. You're going to change the way we deploy resources. You're going to change the way we underwrite things. You're going to change the way we understand, you know, risk um, for our industry. Uh, and that was fascinating to me. And, you know, fast forward, you know, five years later, um, we very much so see ourselves as an insure tech company um, with, with a greater mission, um, even than safety today. Um, but it, it just makes a, a lot of sense that we're at this intersection of where um, accidents and, and, and dollars and companies that want to keep people healthy and safe and happy, they all kind of just converge here in this, in this space. So part of the purpose of this podcast, Gabe, is to change the narrative for years. And even in my career, for probably the the first majority of my career, the process of buying workers' compensation and what the insurance company asks us, and they ask us the information that's on an industry standardized form. So every insurance company across all states in the country have a specific, they all have the same form, the same work comp application. What's your payroll? What's your mod? What's the rate? They ask 24 general questions, and none of those are things like, talk to us about your company culture. Talk to us about how you keep employees safe. Talk to us about how when an accident happens, you bring that employee back to work. Or talk to us about your near-miss program. And I think those variables are, are so key to maybe changing the narrative on how insurance is underwritten when it comes to manufacturers because there's a lot of companies out there that are doing really amazing things and a company like yours has the ability to to change the way that insurance is bought and sold i mean from some of the stories that i've read and i would love to dig in and talk about some of those today you're shaping behaviors and decisions at the company level that could potentially prevent death serious injury high dollar claims litigation, um, not to mention the ramifications on the person as a human and their family. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Todd. There's so much more as you peel back the layers, there's so much more than just looking at a standard risk sheet and saying, okay, this company's in this industry, therefore the risk is, is, is X, right? Um, and, and I think there's so much more that we can be doing uh, for our workers, if we're, if we're equipped with the tools. And I think the thing that fascinated me the most as we kind of dove into the insurance side of, of things was I had no idea that um, carriers, uh, agencies, um, you know, risk control firms, that they have all of these resources to help re- reduce losses and to help avoid claims uh, for, the, for the folks that they insure. Um, 
But today we, we kind of use those resources the same way that we kind of try to understand where we should focus our efforts, right? We're always looking at the lagging indicators. So you've got somebody that's had five claims in six months. Okay, they're going to get all the attention right now, you know. Um, and I, I think we would all agree that, um, you know, with better data, we can be much more effective and um, much more efficient with our resources. 100%. 100%. When you go back to industries, a lot of times, I mean, everything is, everything, especially in workers' compensation, is class rated. Boils down to a four-digit class code. There's an industry average. They know exactly what the claims are going to be on that based upon lagging indicators of several years ago. I mean, even in 2021, the data that we're using, I believe, is 2018 and prior. I mean, that's the most recent data we have to populate how we're going to charge businesses, you know, in 2021 and beyond. And I would just love to see an agent go to an insurance company and say, hey, I know this is what you want to charge our client, but let me tell you about what they're doing differently and why you shouldn't class rate them. And I mean, some of it's state law, but you can class and credit and dividend and drive down that rate because that employer's best in class. And they're doing some things that maybe an average or non-average or high risk business is doing. So tell me how you got here. How did you get to make you safe? How did you come up with, with this idea? Um, well, what we wanted to do was kind of two things, Todd. One, we, we wanted to be constantly gathering data. And when I say data, right, there's, there's a lot of things we could gather, but maybe I'll, I should describe it really quick. Um, we we kind of look at it in four buckets, right? There's environmental data, um, things like sound, you know, noise exposure, temperature, humidity, air quality, things like that. Uh, there's motion. Um, so could be everything from detecting a slip or a trip or a fall to um, repetitive motions to um, just high, uh, high amounts of G-force, right? Just physicality, the amount of physical force used to do work. Um, spatial awareness, which if you would have uh, heard me describe this 10 months ago, we always said location, right? Because we need to know where on a job site, you know, something takes place. Uh, today, we say spatial awareness because we, we now also have to know where on a job site somebody is in relation to another worker, right? Are they within six feet of each other? How long were they within six feet of each other? You know, and then did they leave and then come back and get together again, you know, for a couple of minutes? And, and, and what's the total exposure? And so, you know, our understanding of, of location has expanded now to, to be more what we call spatial awareness. Um, and then the last thing is uh, voice, right? We, we have this, this neat little device that goes on the upper arm of a worker. Um, and I'll describe it as maybe about the size of, of your thumb or about, you know, the size of a doorbell. It's, it's roughly the same size. And it just clips into this armband after being checked out of beautiful kiosk, like you see behind me in my dining room. And, um, and they don't have to do anything with it if they don't want to. But one thing they can do is they can push that button on the front. And when they do, it's going to record a 15-second voice memo of whatever that worker says into the device. And then that gets sent off um, as a, uh, we capture that, that audio file and that goes to our cloud platform. But that can also be sent off as a text message or a push notification through our app to safety managers. So we give the worker a mouthpiece right into, um, you know, in, into what the, that worker is experiencing. And so um, we wanted to gather all of this kind of data. We wanted to do it in real time. 
uh, instead of always looking at, at, at past data, we want to do it in real time so we can begin to understand as, um, as the environment, which is constantly changing, right, depending on where you are and just you know, throughout the day. Um, we wanted to, to be constantly gathering that. And the other thing we, we needed to do, Todd, was um, you've probably been on a job site or inside of a manufacturing facility, and you know that the, the environment can be vastly different just a few feet apart from each other. So we might have a machine between the two of us and all the noise is coming off on your side. So your sound exposure is totally different than my sound exposure, but we're really only just a few feet apart from each other. And so what we wanted was we wanted that granularity of data to say, you know, this is what the individual worker is, is being faced with, right? We know that, that Gabe's been in and on a shift for three hours and we know that he just hit 90% of his allowable dosage of sound for the day. And he's only three hours into a shift, right? And we don't require hearing protection for his job, right? But now we need to look into that because this guy's hitting 90% of his allowable dosage in, in three hours. So we wanted to provide all this data. And we take all of that and it goes up to our cloud platform, uh, Make You Smart. And uh, we use you know, AI, machine learning to process all this data because my dad's not a data scientist. So he just needs it to, to tell him what he should be focused on instead of, um, you know, trying to sift through all of this data. And really what we're trying to do is kind of like how we, we forecast bad weather today, right? It's uh, wind doesn't make a tornado, right? Or heat doesn't make a tornado. It's a confluence of factors that have to be present for, for that risk to be present, right? And We've never gathered this data in, in human history from on humans, right? For any length of time. So how could we even begin to forecast risk from things like this? And so now we have all of this data and we can begin to understand what is that magic confluence of, you know, these factors that are gonna accelerate fatigue in a worker and heighten the risk for the day. And when we know that, then we can start um, being more proactive and preventive in the way we approach it. So there's the fire hose <laughs> for you and the listeners. You're a pioneer here. Are you, so today, 2021, are you gathering the same data that you started out with? Um, or has that data analytics evolved over? Yeah, I, I mean, a, a little bit. I mean, we have a pretty, you know, sensor pack piece of technology. Now, the one that we started with uh, that, uh, you know, did what good entrepreneurs do. You get together at rock bottom brewery and have beers and get out your, you know, electronics kits and hot glue gun and start putting stuff together. So it obviously as is a lot higher tech today than what we beta tested with early on. Um, but the premise has really all been the same. Now the, the one, you know, big evolution for us though, Todd was, um, you know, uh, the um, COVID pandemic forced us to look at things a little bit differently and say, okay, we need to know, you know, our workers around each other, how long have they been around each other? How many inches apart are they from each other, right? So that forced us to, to turn on some things differently in our technology that was already there. We use, we use Bluetooth um, and, and Wi-Fi and other things to communicate. And so we had to change the way that that worked in order for us to understand, you know, who's around who, but that also opened up a whole new layer of opportunity for us that we we knew we wanted to get to in the future, but we kind of had to fast forward to, which is, you know, you're, you've probably heard the term industry 4.0 or factory 4.0, right? It's the, it's the connected workplace, right? A machine talks to another machine and that talks to the cloud or, you know, a heating and cooling system is talking to the cloud or, you know, doors and, and access control systems, all this connected stuff, right? What the internet of things or something, isn't it? Exactly. Everything, That's connected. The, everything is connected, the internet of things. But where's the worker, 
in all of this discussion, right? All of this is about things connected to things. And we said, well, we envision now being able to insert that worker into this fabric of the connected factory, whereby this device, because we know that this device is assigned to, to Gabriel Glenn for the day, when I checked it out, I used my unique identifier and that's how it paired this device with me. Now, why couldn't I walk up to one of those connected machines? And as I'm approaching, it sees me approaching, right? Because it's a smart machine and it can read data off of this. And it goes, hey, I'm going to check the cloud and see, is, is, is Gabe authorized to use me? Is his training up to date, right? Uh, I'm going to check the cloud to make sure that, that he's able to use me. And then I'm going to go ahead and unlock and let him use me. And I'm going to log all of my output to the cloud and associate it with Gabe. And then when he walks away, I'm going to shut down and wait for the next person to approach me. And then Gabe wanders down the hall and goes through a door that says, yeah, he's allowed to go through me, right? So we can, we can now connect that worker with that connected uh, fabric of the factory and gain even more insights and, and even more productivity enhancements um, by, by doing that with the worker. It's totally that, changed. That, that sounds, I don't even know. That sounds amazing. I'm just trying to think from like a safety standpoint, like if you've got somebody who's not authorized to maybe drive a forklift, this will prevent them from driving that forklift and maybe causing property damage or injury damage. Um, really it's the data on the worker. Are you getting, did you get any pushback from workers wanting to wear these type of things? Are they, I, cause I, I'm trying to think instantly when you're talking about walking around a plan, if you've got somebody that's not performing at the job duties that they probably should, they certainly don't want to be tracked throughout the course of a day. And so there has to be a message there to let them know that, Hey, we're just trying to gather data and we want to do better analytics. I'm guessing. Yeah, there's, I, I really appreciate this question, Todd, because I think it's important for us to also talk about what we don't do um, with our technology. You know, uh, f you know, we're gathering all of this data, right? But we're, we're not gathering biometric data. I'm not looking at my heart rate. I'm not looking at, you know, t body temperature, skin moisture, you know, things like that. And there, there is stuff out there in the wearable space that is designed to do that. And, you know, a lot of us have Fitbits or smartwatches that are looking at our heart rates and, and things like that. Um, but we didn't want to, you know, come across as a, as personally invasive to the worker. So that's an important distinction. The, another thing too, is we didn't want to provide any negative feedback to the worker, uh, through our technology. So it doesn't buzz. It doesn't beep. It doesn't alert alarm or, or shock the person, right. <laughs> if they're doing something wrong, um, it's really just designed to, to passively gather data or actively if they want to talk into it, right. Gather data and put it in the hands of decision makers. And this is where it gets into the area that, that I think you're alluding to, Todd, is what, is it, what do decision makers do with that data? And a lot of the companies that we do work with have a good safety culture. They have a company that safety is a priority. Workers feel prioritized. They feel safe. They have a level of trust with leadership, right? And so I think that helps. One, we tell them, here's what we, we aren't going to do. And then the company says, and here's what we're not going to do with the data, right? We're not going to use it to be punitive. You know, we're not trying to figure out, and nor could the device tell them, you know, how many times Gabe went to the bathroom during the day. Now, if I, if I tripped and fell in the bathroom and I'm laying on the floor, it's going to know, you know, that that, that, that happened. Um, so we, we do coach our customers and we also do a little bit of pre-qualification to understand, you know, what is your level of safety culture at the facility mm -hmm. that you're always going to get somebody that's 
a negative Nancy and wants to push back on it, right? Um, uh, on anything that you do, it's any sort of change. You always have people that are afraid of change, but um, the value of, of the granularity of the data to that individual worker um, is, is so important for their happiness. Do you, do you see at some point that you will, I didn't write the words down here, but you'll add that biometric data such as heart and anxiety. Cause I'm just, I'm trying to think even right now with COVID or who can use this, but even, you know, maybe you have somebody who is their heart rates high. Maybe they're not feeling well, maybe they're sick. They don't know it, or maybe they don't want to share that, but the biometric data will upload that to the make you smart cloud and allow those key decision makers to say, Hey, there's something going on here with Billy or Joe, I mean, do you see that evolving into something like that? I do. I think there's a couple of things. One is, you know, uh, when the timing is right and people feel more comfortable, you know, our, our generation, um, I'm assuming you and I are, you know, pretty, pretty fairly close to the same age, right? Um, we grew up with technology. We're used to having wearables and things like that. You know, if I went to work and they said, hey, we want you to wear, you know, this, this uh, armband, I'd, I'd have no problem with it, right? Um, so one of it is is just timing on the acceptance of of wearable devices in the in the workspace, um, and I believe that every workspace will eventually have a wearable device. Even if you're a waitress at a restaurant, right? There's there's just too much value in in gathering that data um, that will will have something. So um, there's that aspect of it, and then there's the uh, there's the legality, and there's the HIPAA side of it, and there's the regulatory side of gathering this kind of information. And does an employer have a right, you know, to 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 gather these kinds of things? And all of that is still being grappled with um, at both the state and federal level. Like there's um, so many variations and differences around laws and rules and what can be gathered and and, and how it can be used. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's well, let's, let's focus on the, the safety side of things and what we know we can gather um, without being um, viewed as intrusive to the worker. And let's make a huge difference with that and see where things go on the, the biometric and health side as, as it goes forward. There's a lot to consider there. I, I had not walked down the path of state and legal and HIPAA ramifications that you just mentioned, but I can certainly see where if I'm an employee and maybe I'm gonna get disciplined or maybe I've got some bad data, how that data is coming through a wearable that is rolling up to management. Yeah. One, of the, one of the things that I wanted to write down that I thought was super cool, so an employee can talk right into that and it goes right up to the cloud. What kind of data are you hoping to gather from those workers who are wearing that and speaking into it? The, the impetus behind this was we wanted people to be able to have a very fast way to report near misses. Right. And we had interviewed um, hundreds of workers and, and asked them, you know, do you, you know, do you guys report near misses or if you see something, do you say it? And that they say, yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, if it's really bad, I go, well, what about the not really bad things? Like the small things they are like, it's, I don't want to stop my work and spend 15 minutes filling out a paper form on something that, you know, didn't happen. And so we thought, well, what if, what if, they could just spend 15 seconds and talk into it. They don't even have to leave their workstation. They don't have to touch a pen. They can just push a button, say whatever it is that was, you know, a concern to them. And, uh, and now, and now we'll get more near misses because those, those are the leading indicators, right? That's oh, the, yeah. that's the Holy grail of, of, you know, what's going to happen. Um, so that was really the, the reason behind this. What's been really interesting though, Todd, is we get so many, 
different things that come through this. I mean, yes, we get the occasional, Hey, the diet Pepsi machines out of diet Pepsi in the break room. Right. Which, I mean, that's important. If, if your worker wants diet Pepsi and you got a Pepsi machine, then, then have diet Pepsi. Right. So, you know, the, the, right. <laughs> diet Pepsi for crying out loud. Exactly. There's, you know, there's importance behind every message, but um, we've had people make um, process improvement suggestions, um, things that they've done, one way for years and years. And they say, Hey, why do we do it this way? If we did it this other way, it, it would just be a little bit, you know, it'd be better. And, and, and leadership's like, Oh my gosh, we could, we could save so much money if we just, you know, move this around like they're saying. So um, we get process improvements. Um, we get maintenance issues. Somebody will say, Hey, the, you know, counter's broken on this machine or, you know, there's, there's uh, the wirings, you know, bad on this. And, um, you know, some of that is safety related, you know, there's a hazard there. Um, but then some of it is just, you know, all, all kinds of other general maintenance and productivity types of things. So it's been really cool to see how that has been used. And I think that's one of the features that people in the beginning, when we're talking to them about it, they're like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I like that. Um, but then pretty quickly they, they tell us like, that is like one of our favorite features of this thing. Well, that gives people an instant mouthpiece. And I just, I, I can't imagine if you're in a large factory to go report a counter is broken or the, the machines out of diet Pepsi, you got to go track somebody down for that. It becomes a 20 minute process yeah. to the cloud. Yeah. You've seen, you've seen the, you know, suggestion boxes at all of these fact, you know, if you have a suggestion for us, you know, put it in here and you know, they might get two, you know, index cards shoved in that box a year. And one of them is probably the diet Pepsi machine suggestion, right? So this is now like funneling so many more messages to, to leadership. And again, it's just another great way to um, turn, turn it into a positive conversation with a worker. It's a culture building moment to be able to hear something from somebody that says, you know, I don't like this. I don't like the way this is set up. I see this, this is dangerous. Um, I'd like to see us do more of this. I'd like to see us do less of this, right? It, 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 it's an opportunity then to have a positive interaction with the worker. So the data that you're getting from this or the data that you've been able to receive for the last three years, how, how do you see that being used? Is it, I'm assuming it's used at the company level but it is, is it also aggregated and do businesses have the ability to maybe benchmark their level of safety versus somebody else's level of safety on an anonymous basis? I mean, if we're coming from the position of we want to take care of our employees and get better, being able to kind of compare, I would think, and see where your organization is compared to another one would be key in that, in that uh, factoring. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of layers to this question, Todd. I love it because uh, it, it touches so many different stakeholders. You've got, um, you've got the workers, right, that you're trying to be proactive. You've got um, executives and leaders. And, and in many cases, the customers that we have, they've got sites all over the country or all over the world, right? So your point on benchmarking is spot on. Not only how do I compare to um, you know, others anonymously, right, in my space, mm -hmm. But how, how do my sites compare to each other? I've got 450 sites that all do the same thing. They all have relatively the same output. You would think the risks, the, the physicality of work, the amount of G-forces, the, the air quality, the, you know, all these things should be relatively the same. And they're not, right? And, and we, can find, um, you know, we can find those differences. And then they can um, you know, find ways to figure out you know, what, are, what are these um, locations in our organization, what are they doing so well that 
they're not having as many issues. Let's focus on those because if we can figure out what they've done, we can apply that across our other, you know, 445 locations and make everybody's lives better. So there's that aspect of it. Uh, and then there's a couple other things related to our technology that this is important for. We, we need um, to make our machine learning models better. Um, we need that data to train our models, right? So when our device picks up on a trip and says somebody, um, you know, Todd tripped in this area, right? Safety leadership can see that. They can go talk to Todd and they can say, hey, did you know, we just picked up that you tripped in this area. Did you, do you remember tripping? Do you know what you tripped over? Is this an area that, that you've had problems with tripping on, you know, things in the past, et cetera. And they can confirm on our platform whether or not that did indeed happen and that it happened where, where it said it happened. All of that training data comes back and makes our models better. Um, and also allows us to find new high-risk motions, right? When we determine that uh, a certain type of motion for one customer has resulted in um, maybe shoulder problems or back problems, we can take that motion, train our models and say, you know, find other people doing this motion, right? And um, we had an example where uh, that very thing, we found a, a motion at a facility in Minnesota that was causing shoulder problems for a worker. We trained our model to look for that motion and that motion manifested itself months later at a facility in Kansas City where a worker was, was dragging a cart with broken caster wheels across the ground. And nobody knew that his cart had broken caster wheels. They could have fixed the broken caster wheels. That's risked that worker having to yank that thing, you know, from station to station. Um, but that, that motion model was found at an entirely different location, right? So we're crowdsourcing some of this, you know, some of this safety and understanding, which is a pretty cool position to be in. I just find that fascinating. I mean, just fascinating. So you're getting real-time data from the companies that you're in, is there any infrastructure that those companies need to put in to be able to receive the data from the wearables? Yeah, today we we like to land on their network, um, right? Now, most most of the facilities have Wi-Fi coverage throughout them. That's, that's not uncommon, right? And a lot of these places are connected. You know, they've got connected machines and stuff like that, like we've talked about. So that's not uncommon. Um, sometimes it's a little bit of work with IT to get them to, you know, set us up a partition so that our our system can live on their, on their network. But um, I think we'll continue to see advances in Bluetooth and other things that'll allow us to, to not have to rely nearly as much on, on existing infrastructure and networks. And then all of this data can go in a couple of places, right? It lives in Make You Smart. That's our cloud platform. And, and that's where we slice and dice and you can do all the reporting and all the paperwork and you know OSHA forms and all that kind of day-to-day -day stuff in there. Um, we also have data services where that data can be exported out into maybe they've got another um, reporting system and they want to run their own reports uh, at the end of the year and they want to extract a bunch of, of data out. That's fine. We, we also have webhooks so we can tie in, in in real time to other, you know, other software systems. So maybe they've got something that that's already in place uh, that they want to use. And, and then lastly, the, the, the thing that I also find really fascinating about this data and how it can be used um, let's say we have a company that, that, um, you know, today, a lot of our customers, they're, they're big companies, but they'll just try, you know, they'll cover a hundred workers or 200 workers, and they're going to see how it goes for the next year. And if it goes well, then they'll go and scale it to 30,000 workers. Right. But can you imagine at a point at which 
say we're covering all 30,000 of their workers, they're still going to have some things that are going to happen, right? It's just the reality of it. So then they can look back and go, okay, we had 278 recordables this year. Now you've got this other layer of data about those recordables that you never had. You know what the environment was doing at the time. You know what kind of motions were going on by the workers at the time. You know where these things were were happening. You know who else was around them. You have all of this contextual data that we can then dig into and start to say, all right, is there anything present here? And maybe what we find out is, hey, 80% of these were um, shoulder injuries, right shoulder injuries. That's kind of strange. And let's look at that data. Okay. 70% 70% of the people that were that had right shoulder injuries were all doing the same motion, right? We can see this motion signature here. They were all doing the same motion. Let's, let's take that motion data and find out who else of our 30,000, you know, uh, employees is also doing that motion because those ones are probably going to be our, our shoulder surgeries next year right? Those are the ones that it hasn't hurt them enough yet that they've had that injury, but they're, you know, here's the, here's the 378 workers that, that aren't injured that all do the same motion. Let's go focus on them and try to stop this and prevent this from happening. And so even being able to look back at things and have this contextual data gives us the power to look forward and, and prevent things. If, if that makes sense. It, it makes total sense. If, I mean, a shoulder injury in, in my world, they're, they're a quarter million dollars. I mean, if you've got a torn rotator cuff or something like that because of an occupational injury that you've been doing the same thing and now you require surgery, those are expensive. They usually are going to end up in some type of, of permanent impairment rating that that shoulder is not going to have the full function that it, that it did before. And if your wearables at a plant in Minnesota can tell a worker in Kentucky that, hey, you need to stop moving a certain way because it looks like you're going to injure yourself, and you're going to have a permanent damage to your shoulder. I mean, forget the money side. I mean, there's that's that's great and everything for not only the business and the insurance company, but the fact that that worker doesn't have that injury, that they're not, you know, lost time off of work. They're not at home laid up. They're not struggling. They're not in pain and suffering. I can't even begin to think that how amazing that would be for that person. Yeah. I think about my, my boys, you know, I mentioned they're six and nine. And um, if they're anything like me, they'll, they'll want to get into the industrial space, right? They're going to want to weld things, build things, bend things, cut things, right? And, and maybe they're going to be in one of these factories. And I like to think that the, the workers that we're working with today and the companies that we're working with today are making the future of work better, safer, um, more productive, and a lot more fun for my kids when they, when they get to be that age and they get to go to work. So um, the work that we're doing today, I think is going to make a big, uh, significant impact on, on global work tomorrow. Agreed. Do you, what type of industries are you serving right now with make you safe? We tend to be in obviously a lot of the, the more industrial type spaces, right? Construction uh, is a big part. Um, you know, your, your machine shops, manufacturing, um, even foundry. Um, and then also we, we do a lot in the food space, which was interesting. Um, you know, whether it's, um, meat production or, um, you know, food packaging and things like that. Um, you know, uh, cheese, there's a cheese company in Wisconsin that we work with. And so, uh, find ourselves in a lot of the, the food, uh, space as well. Okay. I can see your product. I, I've never worked in industrial. I've been in warehouses. Most of my career has been in insurance. 
but I can see your wearables transferring or translating into insurance also, just getting up, walking around, coming into contact, especially with COVID right now, if I'm in a insurance office, making sure I stay six foot away from somebody. I mean, it, yeah. it the, the wearable can go anywhere. The data is huge. Yeah, there's so, there's so many applications. And, um, you know, even you think about, um, you know, athletes and athletics and what we could learn, you know, for, for athletes that are training and, and motions and things like that. And, um, you know, uh, senior care facilities. Uh, my mom's an, a, a nurse um, and she works at a hospital in Cedar Rapids, right? And, and nurses have a lot of slip and fall injuries. They have a lot of sprain and strain injuries, right? They're, they're lifting and moving um, heavy, heavy people and, and heavy equipment. And so there's just, um, there's no end to it. And then when you throw in the, you know, connected worker side of things where, you know, maybe the primary focus for a company with trying something like a wearable isn't maybe necessarily the environmental safety or even the motion safety or things like that. Maybe they want to, um, you know, uh, speed up and slow down production um, in their facility uh, based on data or, or change the way that they, that they do something based on data coming off of the devices, those things t typically will have a safety impact as well, um, you know, on the workers. And so I think there's just so many different places this, this can touch. And that's why I say, I think every worker in every type of industry will likely have some type of wearable on them, um, you know, within the next five to 10 years, just because the value of, of gathering this data is so great. There's, there's two things that you, that just came to mind that I want to ask you. Number one, does, does the worker have access to the data that's contained in that device that they can see on a daily basis? They can, um, in some of the facilities we're in, they'll put, um, the, them being leadership, will put the, uh, the dashboard, the make you smart dashboard on uh, a TV in the break room. They okay. can see it. They're not going to see necessarily the, the individualized data for the worker, um, unless they get user access uh, to the dashboard, which is up to, you know, the company on who gets access to what data. Um, but oftentimes they'll get to see things like the trends and we have something called the make you score, um, which is how we, how we score um, an organization on their, on their safety, which I, I think goes back to some of the things you were talking about, Todd, right? There's, there's good risk and there's bad risks to ensure. And just, just rating something off of a rate sheet versus, you know, knowing that, you know, hey, we've got somebody that's in steel business, right, which is kind of dangerous, but yet we've got a really motivated safety manager here. And we can see that, you know, when something happens, when there's a hazard, when something pops up, they're remediating that within 24 hours. They've got all this documentation that they're doing. They're spending time in here. They're documenting conversations with the workers that they're having. You know, all of these things mean they've got somebody that's pretty on top of it. So mm -hmm. they're going to be a better risk to ensure than somebody that's maybe in a safer industry, but doesn't give a rip about it, right? So I think there's a lot, a, a lot of opportunity in that. I think it'd be a pretty easy conversation if I'm a manufacturing, and maybe I'm not a self-insured manufacturing entity, I'm too small. Uh, but if I have a great make you score and I take that to my agent or my insurance company and say, here's what I've done, let's talk about insurance and how I wanna negotiate pricing. Um, cause I'm so much better than your average class risk. Uh, I can see that being a great, an easy conversation for that business to, to swing things their way because they're making an improvement and they're making actionable things that occur every single day to reduce risk and make sure employees are getting home safe. Absolutely.
Yeah. Um, can you put that wearable? Are you guys looking at putting it anywhere else or will it always be on the upper arm? Yeah. This, this version of it is, is designed for this yeah, intentionally, right? There's a couple of reasons why, uh, behind the placement. Okay. One um, we need it to be up around the sensing area, right? Your head where you're, where you're exposed to sound and things like that. Right. So having something that's like maybe a belt, a belt worn device or whatever, um, you're not going to get that accurate reading from the environmental conditions. Um, plus oftentimes like a shirt will go down over your belt. So if you got something clipped on your belt, we're going to get the environment under your shirt, which is probably less pleasant anyways, than the environment in the factory anyways. So you know, have it, having it up around the head and sensing area and exposed to things is important. Um, it's comfortable. It's out of the way. Uh, in fact, one of the challenges we do have is workers forgetting that they're wearing it and, right. and, and walking off the job site with, the, with that on. So it takes a bit of training to get people used to going back to the kiosk and, and popping it in. Um, and, and then also, too, uh, it's accessible for voice control, right, versus being on your belt. And, and then lastly, it turns out, your arms are a really great place to get motion data about, uh, about what you're doing and how you're moving, right? Especially slip, trip, and fall, which is where we started. Uh, we all have kind of these innate natural movements when we go to, when we slip, right? Our body moves a certain way to try to get our center of gravity underneath us. And those things are really demonstrated quite uh, acutely in the, in the arms. Um, same with trips, right? You, you kind of all do the, everybody does the same motion, right? Yep. Get your arms out in front of you. And so it, it allows us to pick things up like that. Now we've got, um, some other things in the, in the automation space that we're looking at, um, and that we're piloting and prototyping right now where, you know, this device may not be on a person could be in a machine, could be on a machine, could be on a moving machine, could be, you know, doing a lot of other things in a facility other than just being on the person. Um, but as far as the, the worker position device, this, this team tends to be a really good location for it. All right. Are you, are these, how close are you to rolling these out to the public? So we've got 21 sites in nine states using it today. We've got um, about 10 more sites to go online here in Q1. And we've got about 2,000 workers in the platform today. So we just really started rolling out at the, uh, I would say, early fall uh, here in 2020, which was a few months later than we had hoped to. Um, but like everybody else, the pandemic affected us, right? Uh, electronic components, manufacturing, shipping, um, all of this stuff was impacted. And so where we had hoped, uh, we had planned a great big launch event too, like with media and friends and investors and people, you know, family members and, and customers, um, you know, to do that back in April. Um, and so that, that got the kibosh put on it. And then, you know, we just went ahead and rolled out quietly starting in the fall. So I'm sure that wasn't easy. It's, it's funny. I was just looking at my phone the other day and uh, I was going through pictures and, you know, this time last year I was at a chorus concert, you know, hundred kids up on stage, us sitting in the audience. And that seems like a distant memory from, you know, what it is today. Cause I just, that couldn't happen. Yeah. It's been uh, February of last year was the last time I was on an airplane and I was doing, you know, five or six flights a month. Um, prior to that, I was actually just 24 hours away from getting on an airplane and flying to London to speak at um, an insure tech conference in London uh, for St. Patrick's day. And it was that, I think it was a Saturday night. I was supposed to fly out Sunday morning 
and that was when um, the president came on and said, you know, we're, we're not allowing travel um, to, to Europe. And so anyways, that, that made my decision pretty easy, easy on whether or not I was going to go. I was still on the fence at that point on whether I even wanted to go and I was kind of forced not to, but I miss it. I'm ready to, ready to get back to insure tech conferences, to industrial conferences, to see people. It's going to be great. Well, I think I missed you last year at the InsurTech conference in Vegas. You were there. Mm-hmm. So was I. I just got the email. They're back on in Vegas again for September. So I'm hoping I've it's- I've already blocked it out on my calendar. <laughs> I, me too. Me too. <laughs> All right. So I know we're running out of time here. One of the, there's, there's a big, bold statement on your, your website. And I love statements like this because I'm pretty sure, well, I'm 100% sure you've got the data to back it up. And it says here, that in 2019, you had pilots in six states, you gathered 15 million data points, and this has led to a 1,000% return in investment. 1,000% return, what does that mean? Yeah, so when we did our pilots, we asked our customers, you know, when something that the system identified um, that you can confirm happens, uh, talk to us about it. So, you know, for an example would be um, we pick up that people are tripping over something and they go out and find out, yeah, people are tripping over something. In one case, it was actually an ergonomic rug. So ironically, something that was supposed to help them from a safety standpoint, people kept, kept tripping over because it stuck out too far into one area, right? And I'm guessing that's data that they didn't have before. I had no, I had no idea. No, nobody, nobody says it. Not until they break their wrist, right? And then, the, then they go, well, I tripped over that. And then you got 50 people who are like, oh, I trip over that thing all the time. So when, when we picked up on things like that, we said, okay, if this would have resulted in an injury, what would that have cost you? And, um, and, and they would give us that number, right? And so we were able to take what our customers said during that you know, five-month trial period and, and the number of workers that they covered, and, and it it actually got pretty ridiculous. I mean, in one case, you know, one of the losses avoided was a potential shoulder surgery, like what you were talking about, right? That's a $250,000 shoulder surgery. It's it's $5,000 for the year for one of these kiosks full of devices. You can cover 40 workers with that thing. So all you have to do is prevent one worker from falling and, you know, injuring their wrist, you know, once every five years and you've, you've paid for it. Right. So it's just really, um, economically affordable. Uh, we use the term ROI because that's what people expect to see. But I, the term I like better, Todd, I like loss avoidance, right? Because we totally understand that not every single one of those situations would have resulted in a loss, but they all could have, mm-hmm. right? Eventually somebody could have broken the wrist from tripping over that ergonomic mat, right? So the, the, the hazard was there. So it's, you know, and one, one way you can argue, you know, did you really save us that, you know, in their case, I think it was like $42,000 was their average wrist injury. Did you really save us that? Well, we know that we avoided that, that risk isn't there anymore. They took care of that risk. So the potential of a $42,000 loss is now gone from what was there before. So that's how I kind of like to look at it is in terms of loss avoidance. Now, over time, as we get to critical mass with data, and we have you know, more and more companies and more and more workers, and we can look at somebody and say, hey, your mod was here, your incident rates were here, you know, your costs were here, here's all the, the things that, that when we started with you, and here's where it's at today. 
then we can start to be able to put some more realistic dollars and cents numbers to it and say, you know, our customers on average save X dollars, you know, uh, by, by having a system like this in place. But today we just don't feel comfortable, um, you know, making those kinds of claims. Um, we just count on our customers to tell us what, what, um, what we helped them avoid. Okay. Well, as you know, part of risk management is risk avoidance. And if you can prevent a risk claim that's $45,000, that's a great way to avoid risk. That's a cheap cost for what you're doing and the data that a company is getting. And I think if you tie that back to company culture and you've got two industries that are the same, and I'm an, I'm an, I'm an employee, I can go work at either one. And one of them has a program like this in to take care of me and watch me on a daily basis to make sure that I'm not going to get hurt and I can go home safely. That's the company I want to work for. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I, I want over time those numbers too. I mean, we, we have got to help with worker retention. We have to help with attraction, right? I, I people care about this kind of uh, stuff, especially the, the generation of, of workers that are coming into these jobs uh, today versus maybe the, you know, our parents' generation, which was a little bit like, uh, you know, chop my finger off, I'll rub a little dirt on it, it'll be fine kind of thing, right? Uh, there's an expectation that I can go in and I can do my job and I can um, do great work and I can be productive and I get to go home to my family at the end of the day. Absolutely. I, one of the facts that I wrote down today was since 2010, the number of preventable work deaths has increased 17%. And I think a technology like this, you're on the forefront of being able to turn that statistic around. We hope so. We okay. hope so. And I, I think more folks like yourself, Todd, that, that see the future of risk management, see the future of what, um, you know, what we can do with data and with being more effective and efficient with our resources. Um, you know, COVID's a great example right now, right? Um, how, how, how does an insurance company know who, who they're going to send out on a job site and what, and if it's even safe to send somebody out on a job site, but if they've got their risk managers sitting at a desk and they can look at a portfolio of companies and they can analyze safety and they can see what's going on all from a dashboard at their office, right? They, they don't have to go out and visit 10 companies. They can, they can see the one that needs the most attention and they can pick up the phone and say, here's what I'm seeing. You know, what can we help you with? Um, we just be a lot more effective and help companies be a lot more effective in, in managing risk. So what I'm seeing right now in the marketplace is it's a hardening market, meaning insurance costs are increasing, reinsurance is increasing. And this is, this is a factor of a couple things, mega claims, derechos, lawsuits, auto liability claims going through the roof. There's zero rate relief right now from an insurance company. And I, I just received an email the other day that the insurance company told us expect 15 to 20% rate increases minimum. And wow. if you're a business that has had adverse claim experience or a high frequency of claims, it's going even higher. And if you're in the industrial space or some high, you know, some specific type of manufacturing, you know, as well as I do, there are not tons of markets out there that want to come in and either a underprice or compete for an account that isn't profitable. Mm -hmm. And so a simple thing like this, I mean, if you're talking a hundred, 200, $300,000 account, that's going up 20%, spending five or $10,000 for your workers to change that dynamic of safety is small potatoes in the grand scheme of thing. And that will also change the dynamic with the, con the conversation with the insurance company. Cause you can go back to your make you smart cloud say, here's what we're doing. Here's how much safer we are. 
here's how we've mitigated future risks. Here's how we've mitigated the data that we're seeing so we don't have claims. And uh, I, I didn't know what this meeting was going to be like when I went into it today. Wasn't really sure, but that's some really cool stuff, Gabe. Really cool yeah. stuff. Well, we're super excited. We have an incredibly talented group of, of technologists and just people within the company. It's great. We've, um, you know, we're over 20 people now um, in Make You Safe, which, you know, going from uh, literally an idea on a napkin in a coffee shop. Um, to, to now having product deployed um, across nine states and 21 companies and soon to be a lot more. Um, that's, it's pretty exciting to see this whole thing come to life. And, and I, I really believe that, that we're helping make a big difference for um, you know, the existing generation, but also future generations. Agreed. If uh, private sector wants to purchase Make You Safe and get your products, is it end of fourth quarter of 2021 before those are available to them? No, we were, uh, we were, I think, uh, very fortunate in foresight that we uh, ordered a lot of inventory prior to the, the pandemic, right? So we had a lot of the components and things on hand. So we've been able to get um, plenty of inventory in. Um, it takes us a little bit to get de- deployed. Um, but the one thing I'll say is uh, because of COVID, opportunities open up all the time. So we'll have a plan to deploy with a company, you know, next week and we'll get a call that the, our primary contact is out for two weeks because they just tested positive. And so um, we'll just pick up the phone and call our other customers that have signed up. Anybody that that's um, already signed a PO for product gets first call. So we call them up and say, Hey, look, we've got an opening this week. If you guys want to want to bump up. So um, yeah, we've, we've got plenty available and we're going to grow our team too. We're going to, um, you know, we've been really fortunate to be uh, backed by some incredible investors. Um, that's part of our plan again going forward, and that's going to help us grow our team. Um, and uh, the more horsepower we have, I think the the more we'll be able to to get out there and deploy this year. Okay, uh, nationwide. Uh, yeah, actually, we we just shipped uh, internationally for the first time to uh, a global. 100 food company, uh, some of their facilities down in Mexico. We're actually looking at some of their stuff in Argentina. So we're going through certification from Mexico and Argentina. So if you have any listeners from from those countries, we'll be we'll be ready to rock and roll there in about a month. All right, I love it. So, anything else you want to share with us today, Gabe? I just no, really, really happy uh, to have the opportunity, Todd. Thanks again for you know the interest in Make You Safe and for the interest in. And, you know, worker safety um, is, is kind of a personal mission of mine. If you poke around enough on the website, you'll see that, that I was very fortunate to be on the cover of Smart Manufacturing Magazine in June of last year. Uh, and I'm holding a picture of my great-grandfather, um, J- uh, John Griffin. And uh, he walked out of a factory to go home and have dinner. He, we were, uh, he was not very wealthy. So he had to rent a building on the grounds of this factory in Cedar Rapids. And so he decided to walk home and have dinner with my grandmother. And after he walked out of the building, it exploded um, and killed uh, all of his coworkers. And so he spent weeks digging the bodies of his coworkers out of the rubble. And had it not been for him walking out of that factory for dinner, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you today. So, you know, we're we're safer than we were back in 1908 when that factory exploded in Cedar Rapids. Um, but we still have a long ways to go. And as, as you pointed out, you know, it's increasing right now, which is not a direction that we want to see it going. So that's a great story. 
it's inspirational. Thank you for your commitment to safety. Uh, to, to, to bring this back here, www.makusafe.com. Correct. All right. Yeah. If they need to get a hold of you, they can find you there. They can buy your product. They can learn more about what it is that you do. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Everything's on there and easy to get a hold of us. Thanks for sharing and, and thanks for having us on. I appreciate it, Todd. Thanks so much, Gabe. So I've got three random questions here. Well, I ask the same three questions every time, just because I'm truly interested in what people are doing. Um, I want to know, would you share with us what you're reading, if anything, right now? Um, I'm, I'm actually rereading um, uh, Victor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, just a timeless, uh, tragic, incredible book, right? If it, if your listeners aren't familiar with it, uh, Viktor Frankl was a, a prisoner in Auschwitz and it was about his um, mentality and how he was able to get through um, and survive being a, a prisoner there. So just an incredible read. But it's very emotional and very hard to read <laughs> coming from Auschwitz. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it, it is. All right. So the next one I have here is what's one thing you spend more money on than you should? Um probably craft beer. It's not good for me. Uh, it just makes me fat, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I really like all that. We've got so many options now too. Des Moines is full of breweries, microbreweries. You've got lots of opportunities. It is. I hope they all survive through this. We try to, you know, do the, the um, takeout and stuff like that from as many places as we can. We want to see these, these folks stick around. So. Absolutely. All right. And the last thing before we wrap up, if you can give some advice to the world, what would you like to, what would you like to say? Man, you've said a lot today and a lot of it's been really good. I think uh, just enjoy the journey, right? Um, I, I think oftentimes we fixate on some sort of end game or some sort of prize. And, and we think that, you know, once we get to that, we'll, you know, a cheat level of achievement, we'll, we'll have satisfaction and happiness. Um, the Bible's pretty clear. That's not how life works. Right. And, uh, it's a rich, wonderful experience. You get a chance to meet tons of people, um, have some really cool adventures. And so just encourage people to enjoy the moments as, as they're happening, um, instead of shooting for some sort of uh, ideal, um, in your, in your mind that you may or not may not ever even achieve. Good advice. Gabe, thanks so much for everything today. Thank you for your time. Uh, I'm excited to watch your company grow and flourish over the next decade. And uh, listeners, we'll be back in a week with another podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And Gabe, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for having me on.